I'm here to read our scripture for the day, which comes from the book of Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The word of the Lord. GLH means great looking hair. Just spray GLH on and it instantly covers your bald spot, leaving you with great looking hair. Hey, so when I was, uh, when I was about 15 years old, um, I was sitting in front of the mirror one day on a Sunday night and I realized that I needed a haircut pretty badly. Uh, I don't have that problem anymore, but 15-year-old Jordan, certainly uh, I would walk around brushing my hair. I had the Waves 360s. You can't see it now, but trust me, I was spinning back in the day. Uh, and uh, I went to uh, look at myself in the mirror, getting ready for the next day, and I realized that I really needed a haircut. My barbershop was closed on Sunday and Monday, as many uh, black barbershops are closed. And I wasn't going to go to, like, a new barber. You don't, like, experiment with the new lonely barber in the corner. That's how bad things happen. So I decided I'm just going to go to my parents' bathroom, grab my dad's clippers, and give myself a little trim. Nothing too aggressive, just smooth things out a little bit. Uh, so I went to their bathroom, got in front of the mirror, turned the clippers on, and my hands aren't the steadiest hands in the world. And I took a chunk out of, of hair out of my head, uh, I saw it just fly past me in my eyes. Uh, I didn't want to look at it, so I was just kind of touching to see how bad the damage was. And it was bad. When I looked, it was a legit bald spot right in the middle of my head. Now, I had two choices. One, I can just speed up my fate and shave my head bald. Um, or, luckily for me, I had seen these GLH infomercials. And I knew that for $39.99, all of my problems could go away. I can fix it. That next morning, I got my hands on some of that spray. And apparently, it's all about the arm angle because you can't like spray directly down on it. You got to just like dust the GLH spray over your head. And I followed the instructions to a T, put the GLH spray on, and I thought, it's not that bad. Uh, and I went to school thinking all I got to do is get through one day. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up early, go to the barbershop. I fixed it. I have fixed this. I got to my first period class, and as soon as I sat down, the guy behind me was like, dude, did your house catch on fire last night? I was like, nah, do I smell like smoke or something? He was like, your hair, dude, like, it looks singed. It looked burnt. Like, did something happen to your head? And I was like, no, it's just a condition I have. It's this whole... I ended up getting kicked out of class 
on purpose and then cut school the rest of the day out of sheer embarrassment. Uh, apparently, infomercials don't always tell the truth. Sometimes they lead you astray, and the GLH spray did not fix uh, my problem. Now, as stupid as that was to think this magic spray could fix my problem, uh, I think there's something in all of us that thinks that we can fix our own problems. Now, for Jordan, it wasn't just hairspray in 15 years old, but actually at every turn in my life, uh, major decisions, and certainly in my spiritual life, when I would see a problem, my first impulse is that I can fix this. And I've made a lot of decisions in my life that, just like the GLH spray, left me looking more foolish than if I would have just owned up to it and sought help from someone outside of me. Now, when I first became a Christian in college, uh, I was one of those dudes that went zero to 100 real quick. Uh, as soon as uh, I found faith in Jesus, I remember going to a Bible study and reading the scripture, Hebrews 4 and 13, which basically says, everything we do will be laid bare before the eyes of whom we must give account. And I remember sitting in that Bible study and feeling for the first time what people call in Christendom something called conviction. I knew that God saw me. And I knew that I wasn't living right. Now, here's what the problem was in my life that I think is true for everyone. Uh, there's a gap in between what we say we should do and what we should actually do and what we actually do. There's a gap for all of us, and all of us have a standard of living that we say we should do. We should be this disciplined, and we should be this kind to other people, and we should be this generous, and we should be uh, this holy, whatever that looks like for you. And all of us fall short of our own standards, let alone the standards we see in Scripture for our lives. What do we do with the gap in between what we're supposed to do and what we actually do? Now, for Jordan, what I devised was a self-improvement plan, and I made it my absolute mission to get as good and as perfect as possible, thinking that if I did this, if I did enough, then somehow I would land at this place where I felt peace and where I felt solace and where I felt like I had earned it. Now, here's what I've learned in my years of Christianity and what we're going to dig into today when we see this story. Grace is always offered but it's never earned. Uh, the problems that we want to fix with God, uh, that stuff, it, it's only found in grace, but it's never something that we can earn. Now, Jordan, uh, in college, uh, I remembered so many different times where I would go at night and read my Bible for hours sometimes, and I would memorize entire chapters and even entire books of the Bible, thinking that once I memorized enough scripture, once I had talked to enough people about Jesus, once I had made enough people feel guilty about themselves, then finally God was going to be like, dude, bro, I see you. You're killing it. You're killing it. You made it. You're safe. But that target is a pretty elusive one. And in fact, I never reached the goal, and I just felt more and more miserable every step of the way. And I made everybody else around me feel pretty miserable about themselves as well. Now, we all share uh, a number of conditions that are problems in our spiritual lives, that whether or not we want to admit it, these are gaps, these are imperfections, these are things that you and I are not going to just get over with a good day or a good week uh, there's an author by the name of Zach Eswin, and he talks about uh, the condition of all human beings uh, and things that you and I cannot fix. The first one is our fallen condition. The fallen condition is this, that you have an inner tendency that your steering column is going left all the time. 
And you and I have this tendency towards what Scripture calls temptation and sin. Now, think about how easy it is for you to be self-centered. Think about how easy it is for you to hold a grudge. For the person that did you wrong, think about how, how delighted you are if, if something bad happens to them. Now, all of us have this fallen condition, uh, and, it, and it steers us, and it veers us always towards temptation and sin. And that's not going to get better. That's not going to improve by you having a better self-improvement plan. We have a finite condition. Uh, we have limits in our knowledge, capacity, and our ability. There's only 24 hours in a day, and most nights I go to bed feeling like I wish I just had like four more. Mainly just to sleep more, but that's a whole other conversation. Uh, not only are we fallen and finite, but uh, we're fragile. Uh, there are things that have been done to us, sometimes, some, for some of us, decades ago, that we're still processing. Things that have been said to you about the way you look or the way you talk or one thing or another, and by some, you know, snot-nosed kid in eighth grade, and it still hurts you to this day, and you still can't get over it. We're fragile. And not only that, but we're faltering. And this is the main thing, that there's always this inconsistency between us and our standards, that every single day, every single week, if we're being honest with ourselves, there's a gap in what we say we should do and what we actually do. So what should we do with our fallenness, our finiteness, our fr fragility, and our faltering condition? Now, most people, if you're like me, the first thing you think about is a self-improvement plan. There's something inside of all of us that thinks that we can fix it if we try harder, do better, read more books. And this is one of the main reasons that self-help books are some of the most popular selling in the world. And I'm not against certainly uh, helping yourself uh, or, or trying to grow or any of these things. Uh, but as we deal with our spiritual lives... What are we to do with the gap between us and God? I think the answer is found in the gospel. Uh, over and over again, uh, we see throughout Scripture that what Jesus is getting at is our hearts, that we would know that it wasn't about your self-improvement plan. It wasn't about your system that you devised to work. It wasn't any of these things. But the only thing we could ever hope for or ever rely on is the gospel, God's grace for us. Now, we're in this new series called Values, and basically for the next five weeks, we're highlighting things that make Renaissance Renaissance, that if you were to take one of these things away, it just wouldn't feel right. It's like Chipotle without the, the rice. Like, you, if the rice is not j just Chipotle right, it's not really a burrito. Now, if you uh, think about everything we try to do here at Renaissance, uh, this one is not even really a value. It's a pillar. It's the value that shapes every other value, and it's the gospel. And here's what it is. Undeserving people get unconditional love from an unobligated giver. Undeserving people get unconditional love from an unobligated giver. And Jesus tells a story in Luke 18, and it's one of the best descriptions of what the gospel actually is. Um, it starts off like this. It says, to, to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to, pray, to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers adulterers, or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but 
but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Two men go to the temple to to pray, and both of these men have a radically different approach to God. The first man uh, lists his entire resume and goes down his self-improvement plan. And this guy is really confident in his, in his self and in his own ability to fix the problem. So this guy, uh, this Pharisee, uh, although we don't want to think about it or like to admit it, uh, there's a little bit of a Pharisee inside of all of us. There's a piece of all of us that likes to list our resume and all of the good things that we've done in order to think that this is going to make us and God good. And here's what happens for me so often. Uh, The first thing that I think about and that makes me like this Pharisee here in Luke 18 is that uh, we try to prove how good we are by comparing ourselves to other people. Now, depending on where you were raised, what your background is, how you vote, All of us have a list of people that we think we're better than. None of our lists look the same, but all of us can think about people that you just think, man, these people are so far away and I'm better than that person. For me, it's racists and white supremacists. It's people who drink decaf coffee. I don't know why you drink decaf. What does it do? If we're being honest, all of us have a list of people that we... We know their ideologies, and we know what they stand for, and they do this, and we immediately put ourselves in a us and them category, hoping that we're going to feel better about ourselves. And here's how I know I do it, is because this Pharisee stands by himself, and he's basically trying to distinguish himself based on all of the good stuff that he does, and to draw attention to all of the good stuff that he does. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was really humbled in reading my own Twitter page, uh, my own Twitter account, and... uh, thinking about how, in some ways, I'm definitely like this Pharisee, uh, how I was just chumping people who don't get it. They're not as woke as I am. Uh, they're still living in darkness. They're, they're not, they don't get it. And it wasn't that's just that they needed correction. A lot of us need correction for one thing or another. But in my heart, I was actually feeling like I was better than them. Like, how, how could they not get this? This is so simple. This is so easy. I got it, and they don't. Now, not only do we compare ourselves to people and think that we're better than them, but we were restless. Now, I think that this guy in the scripture in Luke 18, the Pharisee who comes to pray, I think the first reason that he comes and he starts listing all of the things that he's done is because he's trying to prove it to himself how good he is, not even really trying to prove it to God. Over and over again, five times in his prayer, he uses the word I. I have done this. I have done this. I have done this. And he's not even talking to God, really. He's talking to himself. And here's what happens when you put yourself on a a self-improvement plan. There's never a point when your self-improvement plan could not have been better. So you're always restless. You're always thinking about what you have to do to be approved and loved by God. And you're working like crazy every single day. Let me ask you this question. Can you think about a time where you felt like you had absolutely nothing to prove to God? That you felt totally loved, forgiven, welcomed in, that you and God were good? That you didn't have to do anything else. There was no pressure on you to do anything, but you simply were. You were God's child, and that was it, and that was good enough for you. Now, part of the reason we talk about the gospel over and over and over again is because none of us have it. Uh, As one author says, the gospel is not the ABCs of faith. It's the A to Z of faith. 
It's a way that we become Christians. It's the way that we grow in our faith. It's the way that we, we mature. It's the way that we learn to forgive other people. It is the, the pillar and the bedrock by, on which everything else is built. So we're restless. Steve Brown in his book, Three Free Sins, uh, he says it like this. If the work of Christ depends on your faithfulness, your obedience, and your purity, and you must work to maintain your relationship, then maintaining your relationship will kill you. If there's angels on one side piling up all the good stuff you've done and demons on the other side piling up the bad side, you'll panic as soon as the scale starts tipping in the wrong direction. Listen, Jesus tells this parable because he knows, listen, this self-improvement plan, this you trying to earn it on your own is a constant state of restlessness. And here's my favorite thing that we do. Um, We're hard on other people. You don't want to know who the, the most difficult person is, is a person who's hard on themselves. Because they think that the only reason they're going to be good with God is how hard they work. They're going to put that on everybody else, and they're going to make sure everybody else's self-improvement plan is tight and right, and everything else is in order. So Jesus tells this story about this man, and as it continues in verse 12, he says, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. Now, this guy wasn't just doing the bare minimum. He was going above and beyond. This isn't an example of someone who was just kind of coasting along. Jesus meant to tell this parable to say that this guy was hitting a home run, fasting twice a week above and beyond. Uh, Not only was he tithing on 10% of his income, he was tithing on 10% of all that he got, which basically meant that if you gave him money, he was going to tithe on what you gave him just in case you didn't tithe. He wanted to make sure that every I was dotted and every T was crossed. Now, the story takes a dramatic turn to the tax collector. Now, Jesus was a G because when he told the story, he was telling it to to get a response out of his crowd. Uh, The word tax collector doesn't mean too much to us today. Uh, We've talked about it a number of times, but uh, the nation of Israel was under Roman rule. So previously, they had been their own country. And uh, the Roman Empire came in and took it over. So they were living under Roman rule, and they hated it. Not only that, but they had to pay taxes to Rome to continue their oppression. And Rome solicited the help of Jewish people to collect taxes for them. So these people weren't just people that people didn't like. They were working for the enemy. They were continuing the oppression of their own people, and even worse, they were notoriously dishonest, that they were notoriously uh, stealing even more money on top of what Rome had already uh, required from them. So these people were getting filthy rich by stealing from their own people and continuing the Roman oppression. And Jesus is saying, this is the guy that walks into a church. This is the guy that walks into a church one day, and as Jesus tells a story, This man is not necessarily continuing in what he's doing, but he, for the first time, feels some conviction. And Scripture says that he wouldn't even look his head up, but he kept his head down and he beat his breast. Now, in the first century, beating your breast was a sign of just beating yourself up. And listen, I don't know if you've ever done something so stupid, something so against your own morals that you couldn't even put, you couldn't even come to church. You felt so guilty. You felt so low. You didn't want to be around anybody. You made a terrible mistake. You did something that made you feel dirty and bad. And this man somehow makes his way into a church. And instead of saying, Jesus, here's my self-improvement plan to do everything to make it right, 
He doesn't have that prayer. He looks to God, and he says his prayer that I don't know how much experience he had in his prayer life, but this one, he hit a home run. He hit this one out the park. It was seven words. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He didn't have a whole plan on how he was going to get right. And Jesus doesn't even tell us uh, how this dude's life changed afterwards. But the next verse in verse 14, Scripture tells us that I tell you that this man, not the other one, not the guy who was hitting a home run, fasting twice a week and tithing on everything he did, uh, this guy who simply said this prayer, God have mercy on me, a sinner, this is the one that walks away justified. This is the guy that's walking away good with God. Now, for the gap that we have in between what we should do and, and, and where we are actually are, there's only one thing that's going to make that gap up. Grace. It's not your self-improvement plan. And we see in the gospel, the beauty of it is not that people with a great plan uh, are right with God, but it's rather the opposite. It's that undeserving people get unconditional love from this unobligated giver. And this is why they call the gospel the good news, not the good advice. It's not uh, the things that you have to do, but it is an announcement of what Jesus has done for us to make us good with God. Now, the way of grace is always offered, but it's never earned. And it's offered to all people, even the tax collectors, even the lowest of the low, people from Staten Island. It is offered to every single person, regardless of where you are. Now, this tax collector, uh, he says in his prayer, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And uh, if you'll allow me to dust off my New Testament Greek off for a little bit, as long as I still have student loans, I still have to use some of this stuff to justify my Sally Mae payments. Um, uh, he uses this Greek word, which basically means substitution. And he's saying, God, would you substitute, is essentially the literal meaning of his prayer. And here's what he was getting at. Once a year, in the nation of Israel, the high priest would come, and he would take a lamb. And this lamb, he would put it on an altar, and he would slit his throat, and his blood would run. And this lamb was receiving the punishment of the entire nation. And the entire nation of Israel didn't have to beat themselves up because the lamb had taken away their sins. In the first chapter of the book of John, when John sees Jesus, he says, Look, the lamb of God who has come to take away the sin from the world. As one psalmist says in Psalm 133, that as far as the east is from the west, so far have you separated me from my sin. Listen, what Jesus has come to give you is not a self-improvement plan. What Jesus has come to give you is justification that when Jesus got on that cross, he took everything that you and I deserved and gave us everything that he deserved. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it's a great exchange. For God made him who had no sin to be sin, so that you and I might become what? The righteousness of God. And it is in this gospel that you and I see not just how we can one day become a Christian, but this is the foundation of everything we do. And you and I are so uh, easy to forget. Man, it's usually not even a more than a week or two weeks that go by, and I slip up on my Bible reading that I read a chapter today, or I should have read more. And I start to just get back on my self-improvement plan and thinking that that's one day is going to make me and God good. And you know what it does? It cripples me. It makes me restless. And I don't want that for anybody here. 
Listen, I would hate for you to leave this place and to think that the thing that's going to make you and God good is you having a better self-improvement plan and that you would refuse what Jesus offers us in him and in, in, in his grace for us. As Paul picks up this, no, uh, this notion of justification in Romans 3, 21 through 26, he says it like this, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through a really great self-improvement plan. No, this righteousness, this rightness with you and God is given through faith in Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of blood to be received by faith. Now, let me give you guys an example of how radically the gospel uh, can change your life if we let it, and how radically it could change this church if we let it. And it, it is adequately putting the horse before the cart. It is the engine that makes all things go. I heard a story about a guy who um, grew up in one of these, like, very strict churches that stressed witnessing a lot. Like, these are the people that come up to you on a train and say, hey, what time is it? Salvation time. That's what time it is. And day after day, these people like had this scorecard that they were basically grading themselves on. And all they talked about at the church is, are you talking to other people about Jesus? Are you telling other people about Jesus? This is important to you and you're not telling anybody about it? This really means something to you and you haven't told anybody about this. And this guy was feeling miserable. Uh, he was thinking that he was just striking out. And he goes to his pastor and he says, hey, man, I'm just doing a terrible job witnessing and I just feel so bad. You know, what, what can I do? And the guy says, it's okay. The pastor says, you know what? It's okay. Jesus still loves you. Jesus' love for you hasn't changed because you haven't talked to anybody about him. He loves you ridiculously so much that he went to the cross to die for your sin. And all of your sin, all of your shortcomings has already been nailed to that cross. So it's okay. God's, God's love for you is perfect. You cannot increase it by one iota by going on a train and talking to a thousand people about Jesus. The guy says, well, wait, no, you don't understand, man. I'm telling you, I haven't been doing what I was supposed to be doing. The guy says, again, you place your faith in Jesus, you and God are good, bro. Next week, someone comes to that pastor and says, yo, what did you tell this dude? Like, he's been going everywhere, talking to everybody about Jesus. And he says, listen, I just told him that he didn't have to do it. Everything that he wanted between, for him and God, that this man's heart's cry now was not what I have to do, but it was rather nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. This is all my peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And he took that to heart, and that radically changed his life. Here's what I think God wants us, for, to, us to have. Uh, not a new set of instructions, uh, but a new heart and a new attitude towards God that is uh, shaped and created by a robust view of us daily looking at and peering into and throwing ourselves on the gospel to, to find all of our peace, all of our righteousness, all of the things that make us good with God, not in yourself, but in what Christ has done for us and to receive that as a gift. Because grace is always offered. It's never earned. This is so wonderful that when Paul talks about uh, grace in the New Testament, later in Romans He'll, he says in 1133, Oh, the depth 
and the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths, God's paths, are beyond tracing out. So don't even try to equate it to what you would do. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that we should repay, that we should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. And the response to the gospel is to him be the glory forever. Now, certainly in a room this size, I don't make it any, um, I wouldn't want to make the mistake of thinking that everybody in here, that this is your understanding of who God is. And what I would love for you, if you're in the beginning stages of your walk with God, or maybe your first time back to church in a long time, and you're feeling something in your heart, and you just want to, you want to be made right with God, I, I want to encourage you to do two things. First, on your connection card, you can sign up for more information about baptism, which is basically going to start a conversation between us and you about what it looks like for you to place your faith in Jesus, and you could drop that off at the info table at the back. At the back. And secondly, uh, it's something called communion. Now, communion is the reminder that we get every single week that it is nothing but the blood of Jesus. Uh, on this one night, Jesus took some bread, and he broke it in front of his friends and his followers. And he says, hey, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he took some, some wine and he poured it out. He says, this is my blood, which is being poured out for you for the remission, for the forgiveness, for the removal of all of your sins. Now, Jesus tells us to do this uh, over and over again routinely, as often as we do it, to remember him because he knows how quickly we will forget and we will try to jump back on our self-improvement plan. And today, if you have placed your faith in Christ as we receive these elements, I want you to simply repeat the prayer of the man in Luke 18. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And know that God receives us. And know that God's uh, blood is powerful and it's enough. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, how unsearchable is your love for us. Help us to have rest, not in ourselves, not in our self-improvement plan, but in you. Help the gospel be something that actually makes its way down deep into our hearts and to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.